This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, why think? A tribute to Ravi Zacharias. Now, we can't get a live audience today, but we can ask some big questions via some remote interviewing technology. We're asking today's big question to Michael Ramsden. Michael is president of RZIM, an organization founded by the late Ravi Zacharias to engage thinkers with the big questions of life. Michael has been engaging with people of all backgrounds and cultures about questions of faith for over 20 years and has been invited to lecture in various settings, including the White House in Washington, D.C., and NATO HQ in Brussels in Europe. And he joins me now, Michael. Welcome to Bigger Questions. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's wonderful that you can join us. Now, Michael, you have a passion for engaging the big questions of life in all sorts of spaces. So in many ways, you're a, an ideal guest for, for us here on Bigger Questions. But being invited to speak in places like the White House and NATO, and I mean, they're impressive places to speak. So how do you approach an invitation like that? Well, I think we have to remember that all people, regardless of where they are, what position they hold, are still people. <clears throat> and I think mm-hmm. we sometimes look at leaders and we assume that somehow they must be fundamentally different from everyone else around them. And that's not true. They may right. have particular qualities and strengths that enable them to serve well in that position, or at least you hope yeah. that's what they have. Uh, but yeah. at the same level, we have the same wrestles, struggles, questions as, as everyone else. So I think the first thing is to remember, um, you know, these are also fellow human beings there. Yeah. And then to try to create an opportunity where maybe they can ask the kinds of questions, maybe have the kinds of conversations that they wish they could, but for maybe their public life or the position which they hold. Um, so are a bit more uh, challenging for them to do that at, uh, yeah, because of their, more, their office and their reputation. Exactly. And so it's very often an interest in a setting like that. You may speak to a larger group for half an hour to an hour, uh, maybe do an equal length of questions. Uh, but very often there's much more time after that where you're having smaller conversations where people can uh, find the safety that maybe you know, they've been looking for to drill down into things that they would love to normally look into but feel that they just simply don't have have the opportunity. So it's a great privilege to be asked to speak in a setting like that because you've been entrusted, if you like, with mm. um, the confidence of a group of people and you know, if as they do open up, they're also aware of the fact that, you know, from that sense, they're taking a risk. So, um, so it really is a privilege in that sense to to be able to speak mm, and listen mm. with people there. Now, Michael, you do work as president of RZIM or RZIM, perhaps depending on what part <laughs> of the world you're in. Uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, founded by the late Ravi Zacharias, yeah. and today's show is a tribute to Ravi, who died of cancer on May the 19th at the age Mm. of 74. Now, Ravi devoted his life to asking the big questions of life. So, Michael, how are you feeling after the recent passing of Ravi? Yeah, I mean, we've known each other for a very long time. I I, I first started listening to him in 1988, uh, met some Mm. of his advance team in 1989, and then met him sort of in the early 1990s uh, for the first time. And then we've been working together since the, just after the mid-1990s onwards. So, um, uh, so he leaves a very big hole behind and I mean, very sadly, everything happened very quickly. He was diagnosed with cancer. They discovered it cause they were actually doing something else to his back. So they almost mm. discovered it by accident. Um, and it hadn't shown up on any scans which they had done. And then mm. initially all the news was very good. So we're in one of those situations, I'm sure many of your listeners have been in where you're looking at a very difficult set of circumstances. It seems everything's 
going as as you would hope. And the, all the reports from the doctors in the hospital was, you know, uh, he had every chance of making a good recovery. And then all mm. of a sudden, the news suddenly changed. Um, uh, and they realized there was nothing more to be done. So it, it felt, uh, and it still does feel, there's been not enough time to process everything yet. And we've been reacting slightly to what's been going on rather than fully processing it. Mm. How did that make you feel then? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was, he was a wonderful person to know. And so I think we all mm. feel we've, we've, those who, who know him and obviously, especially his family have lost someone who is very kind, a, a well-known, I think it was Ben Shapiro um, over here in the US who had interviewed him uh, last year, made the comment that he wasn't a great man, he was a good man. And that's something much harder to find. And I think mm. that's what we, we feel that we've lost a very good man. And at the same time, we also know Ravi was, very keen to build and establish something that wasn't simply about him, but about a team. And so there's always those bittersweet times where you think you can rejoice in what was done and what continues while also mourning what was and what has been lost. Mm. But are you coping okay? Yes. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, it's been great to have uh, Anne with me. Um, we're missing our own kids who are back in the UK at the moment. Um mm. And so we're hoping to be reunited as a family soon, but we're doing okay. Thank you so much. For okay, that's, that's fine. That's okay. Now, you mentioned that you first encountered Ravi's work back in 1988. So how did you first encounter it? Like, what, what was the situation? Yeah, well, I wasn't raised in a uh, Christian sort of setting particularly. And mm. when I moved from Saudi to Cyprus, my uh, that's where I met some Christian missionaries. I became a Christian through their work. Uh, mm -hmm. And a few days after I became a Christian, the guy who was leading that youth group, a guy called Bob Moffat, came and gave me a big bag of audio cassettes. I think there were 42 of them. And he mm -hmm. said, I think you would enjoy listening to these. And they were by this guy, Ravi Zacharias. And I listened to right. every single one. And I can remember I, I used to write them out longhand. It used to take a long time. I don't know if you've ever transcribed an audio cassette. But when you it hit pause... Yeah, well, when you hit pause on those old deck players, you couldn't hit play again. You had to rewind a tiny bit because you would always miss. And he spoke so quickly. So I, I can remember, and because I didn't have a church background or anything like that, I had nothing to benchmark it against. So when yeah. I heard him speak, I just assumed, well, that's normal. Mm. Um, you know, that's what Christians do. And I can remember thinking, wow, these guys, they know a lot and they think hard. hard. <laughs> Uh, and it was a real motivation and inspiration to me. I, I just accepted the reality at that point I was presented with. Um, yeah. It was only a little bit later I began to realize, oh, okay, not all Christians speak this way um, okay. you know, or, or engage with ideas this way. Well, what was it about Ravi's uh, way he engaged and the ideas that he had mm. that made, made you want to continue listening to those 42 tapes? When I first became a Christian, I can remember initially thinking, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. At this point, I'm going to keep it secret for a bit. Well, all my friends immediately started asking questions because my life had changed so much. And as soon as I heard Ravi, I thought, okay, I can get my friends to listen to this. I, I could give them this and say, look, listen to this. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it'll make sense. What I realized was yeah. a lot of people I tried to give the tape to weren't interested. So then right. I decided, okay, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to these and really get to grips with this, and then I'll share it with them. So when they ask me the same yeah. question, you know, um, I'll say, <laughs> repeat it back. And um, really yeah. gripples, grapples, both with the heart and the mind. And I can remember I'd only been a Christian for one and a half years, and I was invited to speak in a church. And so he wasn't very well known at that point back in the early, late 80s as he is now. 
And I remember memorizing a whole talk of his, removing all the quotes to his family and wife, because obviously I wasn't married or had children, <laughs> and just repeated it more or less verbatim. And I can remember as I walked out the back of the church, two old ladies left shaking their heads and one saying, wow, this guy learned so much so quick. And <laughs> so he had a very profound impact in that sense in terms of shaping me. Yeah. But it, but it was yeah. just that I thought, having just stepped out of a non out of the non-Christian world into the Christian world, I, I had an intuitive sense of all of the questions, the objections, the struggles. So when my friends told me, threw all these things back at me, I wasn't surprised. I can remember thinking, well, that's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I felt. How do I explain this best? And listening mm. to Ravi, I thought, okay, that worked. I can share this with others. Mm. So then what was it like to meet him for the first time? After this guy who you've, you've channeled, yeah. you've kind of, did you mention that your plagiarism to him? I when did, you met him? actually. The very first time he ever invited me over to, to speak at something, I actually told the story of uh, copying out the message and he was roaring with laughter. And afterwards, a lot of the people in the audience came up to me, many of them who were preachers and said, I've done the same thing, but I've never been brave enough to admit it. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, I remember the first time I met him, I was grinning away like a Cheshire cat and at some point in the conversation, I said to him, look, you have to forgive me for smiling so much. I'm so used to hearing your voice come out of a cassette player where I can push pause every time I want to write something down. It feels very strange for it to be coming out of a human being and there's no pause button for me to hit every so often <laughs> so I can take a note. Um, but he was always a very gracious guy. And I think one of the things that came across in his memorial, indeed, you know, from all the tributes from around the world, was just how much time he had for people, regardless of... Mm -hmm. how important or significant uh, they may be. And so you, I remember he gave me several hours, you know, I was a, what, 20, 21 years old. He gave me just as much time as if I'd been, you know, some important leader from somewhere else. So he was a very uh, gracious person. And that, and that that was the overwhelming first impression you had when you met him. Mm. So then how do you now feel uh, being the president of an organization which bears his name? Yeah, that's a huge privilege. It really is. And I think um, uh, it's a conversation I've had with Ravi on and off ever since I've been with the organization sort of five years. So for the last almost 20 years, every so often he talked about it with me. And, and I think it was because as the organization was growing and multiplying. So I'd had it in the back of my head that maybe this was a possibility. But I can also remember thinking it wasn't something I'd particularly aspired to. Uh, mm. And I think even the reason Ravi was happy to give up the, the role, that particular role, was there are other things that come with it. And there's a sense in which you'd like to think, all I want to do is just speak and write and not have to worry about anything else. Um, but then there's also a team that needs to be nurtured and cared for and looked after. So there's also a great sense of joy and privilege in, in now having that role with the team. Mm. Now, you've just mentioned that Ravi loves speaking, writing, uh, thinking, and mm. asking questions. Indeed, the tagline of RZIM is helping the thinker believe and the believer think. So why was thinking then at the heart of what Ravi did? Yeah, I know. I think Ravi understood that what we believe in our hearts had to also make sense in our minds. And, and that's the way he often phrased it himself. And you can't just simply hold on to those kinds of unwarranted beliefs easily or if you do you're going to probably start acting in an increasingly irrational manner and i think he mm -hmm. also believed very strongly that ideas have real consequences um mm -hmm. so if you believe something it's going to have an impact in your life and so 
you know, if you believe that there was a bomb in your microphone right now and it's going to go off in a minute, the chances are it would result in action and you'll be leaving the door fairly quickly. <laughs> even if the, would be. Yeah, so even if the belief has no basis in reality, if you actually believe it's true, it has a real impact on you. And so mm. I think he, he, he understood and he saw that. And there's a passage in, in Scripture in Colossians where it talks that we can be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So when we start mm. thinking the wrong things about ourselves, about this world, about God, there's a captivity that comes here. And he wanted to see people set free from that. And I think mm. also, as you know, I mean, he wrestled a lot in his own non-Christian life. And I think when he found that sort of truth and freedom in Christ, he, he made it a priority to want to share that with everybody else. Mm. Mm. Although there are some that would say that thinking is contrary to the Christian message. So, for example, American atheist uh, author Ernest Hemingway once said, all thinking men are atheists. So isn't thinking dangerous for a Christian believer? No, I mean, I, I think we would say the, the opposite. I, when I'm talking to a believer, I might say something like, look, if you bury unanswered questions in your life, they're going to undermine the ground you're standing on, and one day the whole thing will just collapse. So you need to face those questions and, and deal with them. Uh, and obviously Jesus invited us to think and consider things for ourselves. But it is a very dangerous strap line. Um, I have heard other atheists say that. I, I remember being in South Africa with John Lennox and we were speaking together a few years ago. Um, and he was giving a lecture at the University of Cape Town, mm -hmm. which was their largest lecture theatre. They moved the location three or four times to, to accommodate it. The president of the university, who wasn't a believer, was amazed at the sheer level of interest uh, that there was in this particular talk. And when we came out of the auditorium, there were pieces of paper plastered on all of the walls um, from the Atheist Society, the Free Thinking Society, connected with Richard Dawkins, with quotes from Professor Richard Dawkins saying, don't listen to John Lennox, he's a fraud. And the strap line was, come and listen to a real scientist speak on Thursday evening. Well, that was a few days later, and John and I were speaking somewhere else. But I'll never forget... I, we both finished speaking. We came down from that, the platform. This person came up and introduced himself, and he was a student at the, that university. And mm -hmm. what the the atheist society had done is they found the most one of the most famous scientists on campus, uh, who was known around the world. Um, of course, because he was such a brilliant thinker, they assumed he was an atheist. They asked him to give a talk on God and science. At the end of the one hour lecture, the head of the society stood up and said, but you haven't explained, Professor, how this disproves the Christian faith. And the professor said, it, it doesn't disprove the Christian faith. That's why I'm a Christian. And at this point, the head of the student society tried to give them a, like a rebuttal speech to what he just heard, but it was indicative. They had been told by an authority they trusted, all serious thinking people, of course, are atheists. They found the mm. deepest, most serious thing could, they could lay their hands on and didn't even bother to ask what he believed because, of course, he mm. must be an atheist, only to be proved wrong. So I, yeah. I think there's a mistake. <laughs> there's a tactical error in, or in, in going that way from the atheists, even if nothing else. They didn't think that through very well. No, <laughs> it needed closer examination. No. So then how did Ravi then approach thinking? I think he, he, he took that verse that says that we need to learn to worship God with all of our strength and all of our soul and all our heart and all our mind very seriously. And so for him, it was just part of the life of worship. Um, mm -hmm. Give God your mind and to think about those things. And also, I think his love and care for the people, I think, I don't... I didn't hear him say this expressly at the beginning. I think I embodied it just from what I could pick up, even just listening to the audio cassettes, because very often he'll give a talk. Then there'll be all of these hostile questions. 
directed to him. And then yeah. all of these gracious answers back, uh, very patient, very kind. Most of the, you know, and, uh, you could tell he loved these people and he welcomed their question. And there was a phrase he would sometimes use. Someone put a very difficult question to him, sometimes in a very pointed, potentially nasty way. And he would say, thank you for your question. And he really meant it. He wanted to treat the other person on the other end of the microphone, putting a question to him with all the dignity and respect that he hoped they would extend to him. And so I think his his love for God and his desire to share that and his love for people uh, then just combined. And he thought, so if this is the question you have, I need to think about it seriously. Um, and I need to think about the legitimacy, the, the legitimacy in that question, and what a legitimate answer would look like. And, uh, so yeah. he took the the objection and the issue very seriously, but he also uh, took the questioner seriously yeah. as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and he he didn't want to. Uh, I, I was writing a small piece about him after he passed away, and I can remember saying words to the effect of, "He didn't see the questions from difficult people as something to be rebuffed, but rather as a person who needs to be meaningfully engaged with." And and I think if someone has come who disagrees with you at least afford them the dignity of asking their question. Um, mm. And that was part mm. of my story too. I had Christians around me before I was a Christian who took all of my questions seriously. Uh, they used to give me a huge amount of time answering them. Uh, and as I look back over my shoulder, I can remember, as a matter of fact, as soon as I became a Christian, even before I met and heard of Ravi Zacharias, I can remember thinking, I want to give people the same courtesy that was also extended to me. Mm. When you listen to the the questions that people have and the questions that we wrestle with in our culture, it tells you where we are. And very often we, we want to tell people where they should be, but we have to start from, from where they are. Now in the, the Gospel of John, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus that we have, Jesus himself makes a profound statement, which was actually deeply significant for, for Ravi Zacharias, because Jesus says in John 14, 19, because I live you also will live. So, Michael, why was this verse so important for Ravi? Ravi tells uh, in his uh, biography that was written about him, God walking east to west. He, I mean, he came to that point in his life where he didn't wasn't just thinking about suicide. You know, he attempted it because he felt mm -hmm. life was meaningless. There was no purpose. And it was while he was on that hospital bed in recovery from this failed attempt that someone gave him a Bible and as he was reading through the Gospel of John, that verse spoke to him particularly powerful. And he thought, well, look, if life is really possible and if you're able to give life, then that's what I would like and I'll give my rest of my life to pursuing the truth. And that day he encountered Christ and then he lived the rest of his life in response to mm. you know, what he had received and the promise that he had made. And so it was very significant. And interestingly, many years later, he went back to India and he was trying to find his grandmother's grave. And he was able to ask someone who took them to a place and cleared away the grass. And after, as the guy was clearing it away, Ravi's wife, Margie, gasped and pointed to the tombstone. Because written on the tombstone was exactly the same verse. Because I live, you will also live. And so I think it took wow. on a very particular significance for him in his life because of that. Yeah. And it was obviously deeply transformative for him. Very transformative. And I think everything changed. And I think actually what part of the way in which you can account for the compassion that you saw in Ravi's life towards other people was all those things he wrestled with. These weren't just academic struggles for him. You know, he felt the full force of the implications of the questions and the issues he was struggling with. Um, mm. So I think he could feel, relate very strongly to those who felt they had failed or that there was no point or there was no purpose or there was no meaning um, or 
that the answers to the questions, not that there were no answers to the questions, but rather the answers to the questions took you down that route. Uh, mm. When he heard that, he was able to identify with that very, very strongly. Mm. Now, in Ravi's last days, when it became clear his condition was terminal, mm. uh, he shared a number of Bible verses and a hymn on Twitter. Now, I suppose maybe it's a sign of modern life that perhaps a way to remember someone these days is, you know, to recall their famous last tweet. Um, but on 15th of May, 2020, four days before his death, he tweeted from the Bible, from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, uh, which says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Hmm. Now, is it a surprising then for a man who's devoted his life so much to thinking that his final reflections are more on fixing eyes on what's unseen? It's more of an experience of hope rather than of an intellectual reflection and insight? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair enough question. But I also think the way in which that kind of phrasing is used, so there's similar phrasing also in the book of Hebrews about being certain mm-hmm. for the things we hope for. Um, and sure of the things which are unseen. But actually, both of the words used there actually are words which are connected to the idea of reality. So it's not in the sense of, I hope for this in the sense of wishful thinking, I really hope my football team wins the season this year, Uh, which may be sincerely held, but it's not anchored anywhere. Um, Yes. What it's talking about there and what it's talking about elsewhere is that because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and can conquer over death, I don't need to fear this. And so even though I haven't seen it, I can be certain of it because of who has done it and the nature of the promise which has been made. And so I think um, he would hold on to those kinds of promises whenever he found himself in difficult situations. And Ravi started his speaking ministry by speaking through the length and breadth of Vietnam. During the Vietnam War, he was in what famously became the killing fields of Cambodia and spoke there at the height of Mm -hmm. the war. And so when you're speaking and ministering to people who could die any moment and you know yourself your own life could be taken you have to ask why on earth would i put myself in that position uh, mm. and the answer was he he had a hope that couldn't be taken away even by by death and i think that's what christ claims to be able to give us through the promise of the resurrection here's mm. a certain hope you can have even in the face of death so this is a certain hope not necessarily a, a naive or sort of pie in the sky when you die kind of hope no, and I, and I think it's very important. I think sometimes people think, well, I guess I can, it's, I could be in a potentially insurance policy. Um, mm. But if so, it's a rather bad one because uh, the implications for this life are also huge. And so you know, we may argue, well, I think I'll be better off doing this, this, and this. And so that's the last way to think about it. If it's, if it's, if it's a real hope, it's going to change everything. And if it's false, then don't think of it as an insurance policy. Even the Apostle Paul said, you should pity Christians if it's false. But if it's mm. true... Um, then that changes everything. Hmm. Now, you got to spend some moments with Ravi in his final days. How, how was that experience? Yeah, I mean, we were so grateful that we were able to actually get with him just before he did pass. And I think it's, I think it's the case that my wife and I had sort of the last, like, sustained conversation with him. I mean, even then, mm-hmm. we were only talking about five, six minutes. He was very in a very weakened state. Um, but what was interesting was... He recognized both of us. We talked a little bit. We prayed with him. As I left, he called me back into the room, and then he began to just pour out something of his heart. And that was very much about the need for the world to have light in a time of darkness and hope 
at a time such as this, and also to find life. And his concern continued to be that the, the vision continued to be carried and that a world that was in desperate need you know, of such a message would actually have people who were prepared to go and deliver it. And um, uh, so we're so very, I was so very grateful for that. Because mm. he also quoted one of those final tweets was a hymn from Isaac Watts, which mm. says, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guard while life shall last and our eternal home. So in those final moments, the hope of the of the future for him was also a driving factor? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think as we think of the current world we're in, dominated by news of COVID-19, um, the reason I think so many people around the world are struggling is that for many, this is the first time we've collectively faced the issue of our own mortality. And we don't know how to respond in the light of it. So our response has mainly been fear. Mm. Now, obviously, we need to be responsible in light of everything that's going on and what's happening. But we shouldn't be driven by fear. Um, and even the biblical idea of isolating yourself, you know, you read it in Leviticus 13, you know, if you have an infectious disease, put yourself out of the camp. But that's not out of fear for yourself, that's out mm -hmm. of love for your neighbor. Because I don't want to pass this mm -hmm. on to anyone else, my people, this is what I'll do. Whereas a lot of our response so far has been driven very much by fear. So I, I, I hope to some extent um, we'll be able to re- discover that a, a true sense of anchored hope, especially at a time such mm -hmm. as this. And I think maybe that's potentially why around the world, online audiences for churches um, and other things are going through the roof because mm -hmm. people who maybe dismissed the Christian faith and thought it was either irrelevant or had no point or whatever. Are now or, or, not for the, or not for the thinker. Or not for the thinker, exactly. And now suddenly saying, well, is it true? Um, because if it is, it changes, it changes everything. Well, Michael, thank you so much for sharing today and reflecting personally and your own personal experiences uh, with Ravi, uh, a good man, perhaps. Um, it's been wonderful to share. Um, I just want to ask one final question, which is usually the big question that we ask. So, Michael, what do you think Ravi would say to today's big question, why think? I think he would say, you have to think, take the question seriously but don't be content with just asking the question to yourself. Why not try and put it either to someone who you think may be able to help you find an answer? You know, or take the time to actually read or listen to other people who've wrestled with that question in a serious way and see you know, what answers may there be to it. Hmm. And I think he would encourage everybody here not to run away from that, but to take the question, take it seriously, and then find and engage with those who may be able to help you find the answer to it. Mm. And Jesus might be able to help you with that big question as well. <laughs> so, and I think obviously um, Christ claimed to be the truth and not simply to have it. And that's one of the interesting things. The, the communication of truth in the Christian faith isn't just through the abstraction of an idea, but also in the embodiment mm. of a person. So you can actually encounter Jesus Christ as the truth. So it's not just simply what he says is true, but also in his very nature, that is, that, that, that is what he embodies. And so there's a different relationship you can have with the truth when you find Christ. Um, mm. It meets the, the cry of the heart as well as the need of the mind. Mm. Let me leave you with some of the Bible which gave hope, purpose and meaning to Ravi Zacharias in which today's show is a tribute from John fourteen nineteen, Because I live, you also will live. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Michael Ramston. Thank you. Enjoy Bigger Questions? 
you can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.